0: Hi, welcome to another episode of the Leadership Enigma. I'm always excited for every single guest because I think our conversation with every single one of my guests so far has been a complete privilege. And this is exactly the same experience we're gonna have this week. We've got the wonderful Ian Clark, who's gonna chat to me about all things. Well, I'm gonna let him tell you what we're gonna talk about. But all I'll say this to you is, I have this focus, you know that, on human-centered leadership. And if we're going to embrace our commonality, we've also got to value our differences. You don't want to miss this episode. Come back to me just after this. We're talking to the wonderful Ian Clark, who runs d Consulting. Just in a second. During
1: constant change, your leadership has never been more important to create a better and more inclusive world. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma. A podcast for the insatiably curious to explore the power of human-centered leadership to create real momentum for positive and sustainable change. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we speak to global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors as we discover that success leaves clues. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifica.
0: There we go. Never tire of that intro. And, and again, I, I saw you bopping slightly there, Ian, just like my last week's guest <laughs> as well. To it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's a wonderful, warm welcome to you onto the Leadership Enigma. Thank you. Thank you
2: for being here. Uh, really a pleasure to be invited on the show, Adam. So, I love the show as well. It's human-centered leadership is what it's all about.
0: Well, when we first chatted, that was something that we immediately had in common. But also, we're very different. And I really think that's the the heart of this episode, where we can embrace our commonality uh, and shared experiences, but also we can value our differences. And I know this is very much at the heart of what you do and, and what you believe in. So, Ian, give the listeners a little bit of a background history of your career and who you are because I think that really lays the foundation for the conversation that we're going to have.
2: Sure, well, I'm, I'm racially non-binary, first of all, which um, is not a term if you're familiar with, so I'm half black and half white. My dad um, came to the UK on Windrush in the 1960s, uh, and, and between him and my white English mother, produced me. Uh, the, uh, and so I was born in London uh, yep. in 1985. So I'm 37 years old. I'm um, queer. Uh, I have multiple invisible disabilities. I am really, you know, uh, a walking... <laughs> I think I'm one sex change, or one gender gender assignment away from having every single... Protect- characteristic under the Equality Act, which is quite an interesting place to be. Um but I've never really I've never really tried to let those disadvantages hinder me and I'm, despite all of that I'm phenomenally privileged. I have a great education, I have a, a strong, sound mind and and the benefit of a fantastic 14 year career uh, in investment banking working at the top echelons of banking across the US and uh Europe.
0: Well I really really appreciate that introduction. And just tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up as you say you you've, you've kind of attributed some labels to you and i know and i've seen the pdf document that highlights who you are and, and what you do but just tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up uh, in london uh with those attributes that you talk about invisible disabilities as well and being uh, racially non-binary you tell me from your experience
2: I mean, I, I the first time I ever figured out that I was special was um, it was probably year seven, so I was eleven years old, and we had this thing at school called the bleep test. Right, now, I was in a boys' school, so I don't know if you've ever done this before, but you run from one end of the gym to the other. I've and done you this. Bleep, it goes faster, right? Uh, really this is
0: this is well. no fun. Let me just tell you, Ian, <laughs> now, having done this, this is no fun.
2: I'm not doing it ever again, you. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time it's gonna be the only reason it was fun is because every bleep and it got slightly faster, yep. slowly the kids would start to drop out. And I was the only um pupil of Black Athens T in my class. So gradually everyone was dropping out until so it was just me. And it was just and it wasn't just one, two, or three beats, it was bleep. Bleep, 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 and these kids were just sat there staring at me. But this lanky guy <laughs> running from end to end, and I was just—and they started cheering me on. I was so—I just thought this is incredible. I—I can do something other kids can't. But of course, last year or the year before, when after George Floyd's murder, you look back on life and you start to reevaluate things. And I realised if they weren't cheering, those were monkey chants, and that that is it, it's a protection thing. That actually, in my mind, for all those years, I tried to imagine that it was something else. Um, so a real shame. But actually, I was so naive that it never took away the victory for me. I still look back quite pos- positively on that experience. There are some things I can do really well. Some things I can't do so well.
0: Wow, that's a really powerful story straight off the bat, and I haven't heard you tell that story before, Ian, so uh, that's incredible to hear, so thank you for sharing that. You also used the word special. Tell me a little bit about what you mean by that and why you've chosen to use that
2: word. So everyone in the world is special. Um, It's part of, one of the things in your intro, which I really love, is all about curiosity, right? You're doing a podcast, it's all about human curiosity, Human beings are the only sapient species in the known universe. What does that mean? We always hear a lot about sentience, which is the of self awareness that we yeah. are alive. And a lot of animals share that with us, like dolphins, elephants, um, eight great apes, and so on. But sapience is different. Sapience is central to the human experience. It's all about being able to ask these questions Who am I? What's my purpose? Why do I exist? And we are the only species, the only species within the animal kingdom known to be able to ask those questions. Uh, the, the, it's the, the ability critical thinking and abstract reasoning which is exactly why we're, we're here we're talking about this. So when I say I'm special I, I'm, I'm actually generalising to the whole human experience every single one of us has traits, experiences, genetics that make us unique, that is the beauty of the human experience whether in my case I'm able to uh, inhabit both black and white spaces I can mix with both communities with quite a lot of ease and I can talk about complex racial issues because of the nature of my heritage and that is a unique skill I possess uh, that has suddenly become phenomenal valuable and everyone listening to this show is going to have unique things about them that we really want to tap into and harness because that's what makes us richer as a society
0: and I know there's that wonderful quote that came out of one of your speeches where we talk about love our differences but without uniqueness we're nothing special tell they us a little bit stream. about that
2: so I was on stage at International Men's Day 2019, so six months before George Ford's murder. Right. And I was asked to do a talk on behalf of the Women's Network at the bank that I worked for. So I worked for one of the world's largest banks for 14 years. And during that time, I founded um, three D&I committees, the Graduate Communities Committee, the D&I Committee, the Arts and the Black Committee. I also coordinated the LGBT network. And I was the, one of the lead speakers for the Women's Network, which always raises a few eyebrows. But here's the thing, the power of allyship. Allyship is when, for example, a man stands up, and champions a woman. It's an out-group effect. And a recent Boston Consulting Group study showed that when a man does that for a women's cause, it's three times more impactful than when women stand up and say that they need to lift up. So I, I was happy when I asked me to do this speech to do it. And it was a keynote speech in front of a room full of hundreds of bankers, very sceptical audience. Right. If you've ever read Alan Carr's autobiography, the worst audience ever to go apart was a bunch of bankers. And I can totally understand that, having been one myself for many years. But I gave this speech and it finished on this note which was, we have got to start loving our differences because without uniqueness, we're nothing special. And I was the only speaker that got a standing ovation and a round of applause. And I was I was touched because it's the first time I've ever done a public speech um, in front of a live audience. I was just not expecting that reception. But people like what I'm saying, which is great because all I'm saying is we should all accept each other.
0: I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? As you say, that was your first public speech, really, and you got a standing ovation. Which is wonderful, but it also means that that message was clearly resonating. Let me ask you another question. As you were describing yourself and attributing labels, is that a, is that a fair comment? Um, do you find that you're able, as you say, to traverse different groups in society from the LGBTQ society to, say, to the black community, the white community, the younger community, the financial services community? Have you felt that you are in some ways a little bit of a chameleon that you actually can actually move in and out of different disparate groups in society and, and be very comfortable within them.
2: I, so I, I always start off with labels because I actually don't I actually don't believe in labels. I, I, all those things I told you are completely irrelevant to anything that I'm saying or who I am. Yeah. But people like to put people in boxes. So I like to throw out their labels. I'm also a psychologist and therapist. I'm an author. Uh, I'm a rights advocate. I'm a multi-award winning philanthropist. And I'm a world record breaker. So how many labels do you want before you really We're going to come on to the,
0: the world record. We're <laughs> coming on to the world record, Ian. All right. Sorry,
2: a, but i i But you, your, your question was, um, are you a comedian? And the answer is yes, I'm a Gemini. (laughs) I actually call it Gemini non-conforming because we have this gender non-conforming, so it's a bit of my twist. Gemini non-conforming to me means that I'm able to, I'm, I'm not fake, but I'm able to easily integrate into many different types of groups. Yes, I'm queer, but I'm also relatively heteronormative. So I don't intimidate straight people and I can actually stay sort of under the radar, so to speak, if I need to, um, because I'm, I'm not hiding anything about myself. I'm just not throwing it all out there like I am right now, right up front. No, it's, it's quite a place to be. You feel like a secret agent sometimes, but it also allows you to make people phenomenally comfortable around you because you know, which parts of them are, are you can tap into parts that you have in common.
0: Now. We talk a lot for our our listeners in relation to leaders and all things leadership about the power of diversity, diversity of thought. What are, Before we get on to your kind of role in financial services and project speak up, and then maybe something about a world record, people are thinking, what's that about? Um, just tell me any thoughts at the moment for any leader listening to this right now about the power of diversity of thought. If anyone is has any second thought on this. Just tell us a bit about your thoughts. Diversity.
2: So... The, the, If you look at the FTSE 100 today, there isn't a single black person in any chairperson, C-suite executive role, that's CEO, CFO. There aren't any gay people there. There aren't any disabled people there visibly. There aren't any trans people there. You know, and at the current rate of gender diversity, it's going to take 136 years to achieve gender parity in the boardroom. So what does that tell us? That tells us that boards are yet to be convinced of the power of diversity. They don't believe it, so they're not focusing on it, even though many of them say they are. The numbers for themselves. Right. So I'm trying to convince people that this isn't just one of those nice times. This isn't like, you know, should we build a duck house or should we do some DNI this week? You know, mm-hmm. it's not, should we repair the fence or should we get women in the boardroom. This is about real human potential. And it's such a shame that today the world's biggest minority, you know, the white cis heteronormative men between the ages of 15 to 75 without disabilities are just 1.1% of the human race. 8 billion people, and yet that 1.1% control everything about the world in, our, in, in that we live in. They are 100% of the CEOs of major international banks, they're 90% of the world's top 100 richest people, there's 65% of the political establishment in the UK and the USA, and there's 72% of the senior leadership within the board of the FTSE 100, and that is scary. Because we've created a world where not everyone can reach their full potential. In fact, by far, the majority of the human race cannot. 98.9% of the human race is today subservient and subjugated. Imagine if the first Elon Musk had been a lesbian, black, trans woman from the Gambia who needed a wheelchair but ended up in jail because people saw her difference as dangerous. Those
0: statistics are. Pretty mind-blowing, actually, Ian, as you just rattled those off. That's why you, you kind of had complete silence from me, because as you were saying that, I was trying to process all, all the cumulative impact of those statistics. That's...
2: Frightening. It's scary. So the Human Genome Project, two thousand and three, proved to us genetically that there's no difference between black people, white people, men, women. Like when it comes to things like creativity, drive, ambition, uh, all the things, intelligence, um everything we need, empathy, there's total potential for men to be great caregivers and total potential for women to be really good leaders. I do think have always had phenomenal Female leaders in my life, so I have this really big appreciation for the power of women in business and what they're able to achieve. Yes, there are differences. Men are slightly stronger than women in the upper body strength, but you know what? Women are more durable. They live longer. They mature earlier, and they can run longer and farther for for longer distances. So when we focus on men men stronger than women, actually, I have a job today where that strength is is important uh in, in, in terms of recruiting men over women, even construction, you know, we've got machines now to do that for us. So I do think we spend far too much time labeling people and trying to work out who's better and who's different, rather than just saying, you know what, we've all got advantages and disadvantages. Let's just love it.
0: Ian, let me ask you this question. Do you think that we as a society have oversimplified this entire subject and maybe we're relying on what's always been done, tradition, it was always
2: done this way, therefore that's how we do it. Is, is that going on? I mean, 100%. Women have been serving to men for 6,000 years. 6,000 years they've been asking to break the bias. And I think the problem is that we, we're, we're creatures of habit, human beings. We, we love the familiar. So we just keep trying the same thing, hoping that, today is going to make it, it's going to happen today. But I'm really about differences in doing things differently. So I I like to try new ideas and new new social experiments to try and see if we can create a difference another way. You know, it was, uh, I think it was Churchill who said that results are great, but having good goals is great. But every now and then we need to take a step back and assess the results
0: very true and i want to talk about doing things differently because you had i think a 14-year career within financial services and that led to you doing something called project speak up which changed really the trajectory of your professional career so just help the listeners understand what was project speak up
2: so as i mentioned i was i was fairly high up in in one of the world's biggest banks and i was responsible for employee networks around twelve marginalized employees so as well as my day job, I'm the head of customer yep. uh, sectorized content, um, head of innovation, deputy, um, deputy lead on sales for six sectors, as well as a trainer of the sales team. And with my own set of 80 customer portfolio and sales targets, I was busy being. But I had this responsibility according to our group core values. And because I had all of these different um, things in all these different pots. I was able to see more of what was going on than probably anyone else. So right. I started writing a paper last year called Project Speak Up for management. that was just meant to be some tips on how we could maybe make the company more diverse and inclusive. And because of my background in social sciences, I used a research methods and I interviewed hundreds of um, marginalised colleagues, black people, um, disabled people, gay people, women, so about past and present employees, asking them, you know, why did you leave? What's your experience been? Uh, how do you think you've become better and every single one unfortunately told the same story they all had these heartbreaking accounts of discrimination in the workplace and they kept naming the same names the perpetrators kept coming up and that's when I knew we have a problem here so I decided to write a report that told the truth that fully assessed the costs and solutions to what they'd been through and captured their their stories. Their stories were all these quotes in the report. um, It's available on our website downloaded download it. Really um, thorough report, 45 pages. started at 10, but every time I presented it to a senior leader, they would constantly question it and they would constantly belittle its findings. Oh, that's not racism, that's just ego. Um, you know, you're looking too much into this. You know, right. chime, chime in. So it grew and grew and grew with all this objection and handling until it was unquestionable. And that's when all communication and all support for my project stopped. Uh, and I knew, okay, no one's talking to me now. It's a bad time. So I submitted the report to the CEO. I copied in um, the senior leadership team and a few days later the report somehow showed up on Bloomberg uh, and suddenly I was getting news reports across 120 countries, 16 languages, reporting on what I was trying to do. So this became membership. open source? It was it was everywhere. The report was online. I remember one, the, the head of uh, HR called me on my day off and she said, the report's online. Um, what are we going to do about this? And I said, well, I, this, I don't think we can do anything about it. It was just a, one of those moments where what was touching for me is I've got hundreds of hundreds of messages coming in from all over the world, from people from other banks, other industries saying, I recognise what you're talking about in this report. It's happened to me. And that's when I knew this problem is big. This isn't just happening in my friends. This is happening all around the world. The world is getting less tolerant.
0: Now, in some ways, I suppose you became an unlikely activist or almost an unlikely whistleblower. I think we talked about that term when we chatted a week or so ago. And this report broke five records. Is that correct?
2: It broke five world records. The change that this report delivered was phenomenal and beyond my my expectations. Really, um, it just shows the power when we act differently and we come up with something. So I came up with an entirely new method for implementing change within big businesses. Unfortunately, I, I, it, my job was untenable. Once the report was all over the internet, yeah. you know, I, I really felt like I had no choice but to resign, um, uh, which I did. When I on I, upon my resignation because of the amount of press attention, I was able to to walk over the road to Reuters and my global interview with Reuters. It was the longest ever interview they ever recorded, uh, and, and only sort of three or four minutes of it on, on the internet. But um, they picked the best bits, and really, I, I was proud of my performance in contextualising the report and the need for change and the consequences of inaction. An and I think it was that that interview. Uh, really, sort of triggered the the the, the my employer to, to jump into action and actually take on board some of
0: Ian, can we can we just share what those five records were with the listeners that sure, followed sure. this so report? A, the
2: the first ever black woman in history was appointed to the board of the major international bank. Right. The first three simultaneous black. Board positions held on the board of a major international bank in history, the creation of the world's first and only whistleblower on race inclusion within banking uh, to this day, uh, the world's largest active banking network of active whistleblowers, which I coordinate today. Uh, 30 new black scholarships at Cambridge. Nine managed I think it's about nine managing directors uh, are mostly white men who were encouraged to leave or resign or were dismissed from the business um, who were implicated in in these, these these stories from employees of, of potential racism. The change, not just upon my firm but upon the industry, was was was. Was tectonic, it, it was worldwide, uh, and it only cost one career. Uh, but uh, it, I would do it again in a second because what is the cost of one career when you are talking about the lives of potentially billions of, of people?
0: So, what's the big learning for you from that experience? Because obviously, that experience took on a different form from what you perhaps thought would happen or be the outcome. So, what are you taking away from that, Ian?
2: I thought that, uh, so it's a $3 billion uh, strategy that I recommended, which was 12 points. And if we'd implement it, we would become the most inclusive bank in the world. It would have boosted return equity by 1.2%, is my calculation. And the cost to implement was zero, it was cost neutral and I really thought they were going to they'd love that I thought they'd love that it's a bank we're greedy come on let's get some money <laughs> I really thought that they would buy into it but they didn't they they, they they despite all these numbers they still didn't want to to do it and um, it just became they didn't even want to listen to me it was literally who's this guy who thinks he can try it on and change our strategy no, let's get rid of it. It was that was that was my reception of the of the of the senior management's response. I, I, some some of the senior management were very, very supportive, Using on there is no such thing as a bad bank. Uh, just the same as no a bad company. The companies are filled with human beings like you and me, some good and some bad. And ultimately it's a game of cat and mouse as to which side wins. I just really hoped the good side would win. But it didn't. So my takeaway is people struggle to change. They just don't like change. And they struggle to listen as well. Listening leaders, there are not enough of those around, which is why I love uh, your podcast and this sort of human-centered leadership mantra you're trying to spread. I think it's phenomenal what you're doing.
0: So with all the research you've done, all the experiences that you've had, what actually, in your view, makes us human? Because I talk about human-centered leadership. All great organizations are made up of humans within it, without which it wouldn't work. What actually makes us human, really, through your eyes, Ian, and the experiences you've had?
2: That's a really good question, particularly as we're coming into a sort of Industry 4.0 era where so much is automated, yep. and so many particularly lower-skilled jobs are becoming mechanised. Um, we're going to have robots, I can imagine, in, in within our lifetimes, doing a lot of housework and all this yeah, they're already vacuuming the floor. So, you know, when we're talking about what's it mean to be human, Why are some jobs not going to be replaced by robots? And the answer is because there's some things human beings can do that robots can't do. Things like free will things like sacrificing a career to save a continent you know, that is not the decision that uh robots would do it's not even a decision that humans instinctively would take i was offered 50 pounds compensation for what uh, for, for becoming a whistleblower by the regulator which is funny um but you know and i but i lost a, a high paid salary a job that i was flourishing in uh, that was i was my salary was increasing exponentially i had a huge amount of standing in my industry but um it was it was a decision that i took because I weighed up the costs uh, of not doing it. I thought I could die tomorrow and I will be happy with my contribution to the world today, what I've done. But if I had not written that report, if I had written one that told a lie, I would. I could have maybe lived 15, 15, 16 more years, but I would have taken to the grave the guilt that I had not done something for those people. Um, so that, I think, is the human experience. It's the ability to be able to make decisions that aren't just in our interests, but are in the interests of the greater good.
0: So, tell us a little bit about your passion now and for leaders to really fill their organizations with as much diversity as humanly possible. How and why?
2: Another great question. Um, why does diversity matter? Diversity matters because if you have this, there's, there's something called culture fit, which most companies try and have a culture fit. So yeah. they have all these core values and they say, we want to hire people that fit into that. I'm actually a bit different with my firm. I actually have what it's called a supplemental fit. I'm looking for people that will come and add different perspectives and new values and actually bring with them experiences and understanding of oppression and companies that we don't currently possess. I want different people to me and I'm not scared of difference. I actually embrace it. I love talking to people that are just different that's the excitement of the human experience if you look out the window no two houses are the same no two cars are the same they're all different colours different makes every time we buy a bunch of cupcakes they're all different colours you know I, I eat a lot of cupcakes <laughs> <laughs> I was going to
0: say that was an interesting you went from cars to cupcakes That oh, we have actually, to have a conversation about that
2: <laughs> I got such a sweet tune. But I I just, we just love the birthday balloons. You know, you're never going to get it. The human experience is all about um, diversity and difference. And yet, for some reason, we have gone on our uh, turn head upside down when it comes to people in business. So the benefit of having diversity is you get loads of different ideas. If you're ever in a room of just a bunch of white guys uh, and senior leaders in, in banking, which I've been in many times, those rooms, and we go, let's have a brainstorming size big empty sheet of, of paper and by the end of it still a big empty sheet of paper because you know what we all have the exact same life experiences and we can't think of anything because we're just the same as each other so it's all about creating more innovative um, companies it's about mitigating risks now it's actually illegal to discriminate and, and and they're clamping down on that and it's very visible when you look at the the c-suite the foot 100 you can see that people are being chosen for these ceos because they're white men we so often say, oh, she was appointed because she's a woman, he was appointed because she's a black man. We forget that actually everyone's appointed because they're white, white
0: men. So there's a lot, or there appears to be a, a huge increased effort across many sectors now in relation to really looking at, at DE&I. And it's not a tick box exercise, but it's now part and parcel of many organisations' DNA. It's who they want to be. And, and in some cases, it's who they are. Maybe in, in smaller organizations. What is there still to do, Ian? How do we take this to the next level of using the royal we? But how do we, from a society point of view, this is a massive question. I'm not sure why I'm asking this question, really. We'll be, we'll be solving w- world peace next, won't we? How do Let's we. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> next how, what's, the, what's the next stage for us as a society to keep driving this in the right direction collectively?
2: So the first step is to understand that there's a problem. And I think we've come a huge way in the last few years in terms of seeing that this is a problem. and talking about it now openly. We've never spoken about racism openly until the last few years. So that's phenomenal progress. Um, the challenges are that the any any changes, um, such as Jane Fraser's appointment as the CEO of Citigroup, or, as I said, the black appointments of my old employer, um, those changes have come not through choice, but in Citigroup's um, uh, um, position because of a shareholder rebellion and in my firm's uh, position because of my rapport. Wouldn't it be wonderful if companies embrace this change willingly? Because when you embrace the change, that's when you get the financial benefit. You get massive reputational benefits from being seen to be diverse. You get um, new ideas and innovation that creates product excellence and customer journey enhancements, strategic optimization from improved, adequate challenge within the boardroom, meritocracy that motivates people to perform at their best all the time, regardless of whether they consider there's a nepotism or bias within the recruitment processes, the ability to attract and retain the best top talent from all walks of life. I could keep going on. The benefits from this are phenomenal. Um, How do we affect change? We have to be prepared to change. And that's what my firm does. We are change project managers. If anyone is looking to make a difference, they call us. Well, that's a good
0: segue because how do people get in contact with you, Ian? If they want to continue the conversation, tap into your experiences, get your help on certain issues that they might be grappling with, what's the best way?
2: I and mean, we've got a website, uh, daylightconsulting.com. It's dei which We shine a light on darkness, and we fight hatred with love. And that's always the best way to get a hold of us. So we're also on LinkedIn by the same name. Yeah. Um, uh, and 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 also I am as well. People are welcome to follow me and contact me. You just type in Ian Clark daylight. You'll find me. Uh, it's hard to miss me because <laughs> I'm always banging on about something. But I uh, I, you know, I really value my network, and I love, particularly coming out of banking into this industry now, where I'm getting the right activist now um, you know that is i've gone from a network of bankers to a network of do-gooders and and uh you know that's been quite a quite a year really but i'm always um, willing to connect to people that uh, want to do good stuff um i'm here i'm not someone who's going to blank you i'm just like whatever you want to do let's work together and achieve it i don't blame people for their mistakes i help them fix them wow what well, um, a so, lovely yeah, message in Okay. We do training, we do speaking, we do advisory, we do change product management, we do research, we do whatever you want. We and change companies.
0: you're a world record holder. Let's not forget that now. So out of all of the experiences that you've had and the talks that you've done and the work you're doing, research, etc., what's the best piece of leadership advice that comes to mind for you that you've given or received?
2: Most leaders think that their job is to um, dictate the strategy and ensure people follow that strategy. I actually don't think that's anything to do with leadership whatsoever. I think good leaders listen to their people and the, pe- the people innovate the strategy. And all you need to do then is weigh up all the different perspectives that those people have and try and formulate one common perspective that the company can follow. I think if, if you can have more listening leaders, there is no need to be grumpy there is no need to be unapproachable, there's no need to have an ego. Those things are irrelevant in the boardroom actually hinder business. This whole paradigm we have of what a good leader looks like means to change. Isn't it nicer? Like you and I were having this really nice conversation. It's just nice, like you said at the start, we're, we're very different. But actually, I don't think we're that different. I think deep down, you and I actually kind of very similar, <laughs> but I think visibly we're different. And if you if you ignore the visuals, you can have such a richer life because you get to meet people that you never normally would do.
0: Well, Ian, I just want to say a massive thank you you i think you've given our listeners a lot to think about and we've touched on this important subject i will be it briefly but i hope that people will reach out and carry on the conversation with you thank you so much for joining us such a pleasure evan thank you take great care join us again next week for more tips and strategies on the leadership enigma
1: we'd love to hear your comments on today's show as well as suggestions for future topics and guests get in touch with your host on linkedin or our youtube channel and remember to get your daily learning to build success at www.insights.emeritus.org. Download the Insights app and start learning for free. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on all your major podcast platforms.
2: Thanks for listening.